Chapter 19 of Ezekiel. Okay. Moreover, take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, what's a lamentation? It's a crying out. Specifically, a crying out in what form? A sorrow. It's a funeral dredge or a funeral song, a funeral lament. There's a dying that's taking place. Who's doing the crying? No. God. God is lamenting. God is doing the crying. God is grieving over what is dying. Let's look at the text. Moreover, take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, What is your mother? A lioness? She lay down among the lions, and among the young lions she nourished her cubs. She brought forth one of her cubs, and he became a young lion and learned to catch prey, and he devoured men. Who's the lion here that we're talking about? Who? Somebody said Judah? Why Judah? Lions well. Where do you find that? Genesis 49. Let's go there. We're going to get a little bit of history here. We need some contextual history before we move on into the text. So go to Genesis chapter 49, where Jacob is blessing his sons as he is departing. And in blessing Judah, it picks up in verse 8, I think it is, 49.8. Judah, Leonardo, Pastor Leonardo. What does Judah mean? Praise. Praise. That's right. Judah means praise. Yeah. Judah. The one to us to praise the Lord, right? Judah means praise, and it says here in verse 8, Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is what? A lion's whelp. A lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall arouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. What does that mean? The rule, the right to rule. The scepter is the right to rule, the right to capital punishment more specifically is what the scepter meant. Israel lost the right to rule with a scepter when the Romans had occupied Israel. But uh, here, God had given Judah and its leaders through the Davidic dynasty, through the line of David, the right to rule, to rule with the scepter. That's what he's talking about here. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Who is Shiloh? Who's Shiloh? The Messiah. It's another name for the Messiah until the Messiah comes. Now, uh, Israel had lost the right of capital punishment in AD 12 when the Romans had taken over that part of the world. And so they were dependent upon the Romans. But when did Shiloh come to Israel? How old are you? Eight. Eight. Oh, he was just about four years older than you are. That would make you how old when? Then? Eight and four? You're nervous, aren't you? I love you. I don't want to make you nervous. Eight, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve. And who was twelve years old when he came to the temple and his parents were looking for him? Jesus. Shiloh came to the temple the first time, but they didn't recognize him. 12 years of age, right? Yeah. What happens when a boy is 12 years old? He 
he went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, but at 12 years old, you become a, a man. God considers you a man at 12. Wow, can you imagine that? Four, four years from now, you're going to be a man, Leonardo. <laughs> and we'll have a bar mitzvah for you, okay? You'll be the son of the word, son of the, of the Bible. And then you would have to know the Bible, and you would have to live to the Bible, and then you would share the Bible, right? Yeah, but that's when Shiloh came the first time. They didn't recognize him. But it goes on to say, And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. One of the theologians said, this is an exuberant, intoxicating abundance. This is what John Michael would call obscene blessing right? The nation is going to be obscenely blessed during this time. What, when would this time be? With regard to the progress of the kingdom, we've been talking about that, right? The, the, the progress or the kingdom program that God has established, what was the first kingdom? We talked about the universal kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, the theocratic kingdom, the mystery kingdom, and then lastly, the Messianic Millennial Kingdom. That's the kingdom he's talking about here. The Messianic Millennial Kingdom where Israel will be blessed beyond measure. Wow. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Now, we see that this line of Judah was to be blessed. Go with me to 2 Samuel uh, 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Samuel was the end of the reign of the prophets, or the uh, judges, right? You, you had the mediatorial rulers who were God's representatives during the theocratic kingdom. Remember, we talked about the theocratic kingdom. In the first part of the theocratic kingdom, there were God's representatives, mediatorial representatives, started with Moses. Moses was the first one. And, and then it went to Joshua, and then the judges, and the last judge, the first prophet, Samuel. And he was also a priest, by the way. Only Samuel, only Samuel fulfilled those three roles, which is a type of Christ, prophet, priest, and king, right? But Samuel is the last judge. Then it began the time of the monarchy. And who was the first king that Samuel was called to anoint? Saul. And then... David. And so this is where we are here now. Saul, Saul has been rejected because Saul has rejected the Lord. He wasn't obedient to the Lord and all that he was commanded to do. And so God had put his blessing upon David. And David is in his house and he's considering his glorious palace that the nation has constructed for him. And then he saw and looked over and God's still dwelling in a tent. And he said, this isn't good. I'm dwelling in this cedar palace and God's dwelling in a tent. We need to build God a house. And so he tells Nathan of his intentions, and Nathan said, David, go for it. Sounds good to me. And then that night, the Lord spoke to Nathan and said, mm, no, we're not going to do that. Pick it up in uh, chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, verse 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David. Everybody there? Chapter 7, verse 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all of your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name like the name of the great men upon all the earth. 
Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. Where's that place? Israel, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the capital, it's Israel, that's the place. And, and Jerusalem or the Temple Mount, the very place where God would be worshipped, where God would meet with his people, Israel. When your days are fulfilled, verse 12, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Who's that? Solomon. 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 Now, let's see what God's intention was to bless the house of David beyond his wildest imaginings, talking about being obscenely blessed. And he said, I want your descendants to reign upon your throne that I will establish forever, forever, what he's declaring here. And I will be his father, verse 14, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rods of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever according to all of these words and according to all of this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. Wow. I bet David slept good that night. Hmm? Can you imagine God coming down and saying, Nick, I am going to bless Leonardo, and I'm going to bless Leonardo's sons, and I'm going to bless his son's sons, and 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 his son's sons. Wow. Nobody thinks that much of you, do they? But God. Mom and Dad love you a great deal, don't they? But you know what? They don't love you as much as God does. Do you know that? Hmm. Nobody, nobody loves us the way God does, right? And God had such a wonderful, wonderful plan for David and his descendants. But what we're going to see in verse or in chapter 19 of Ezekiel is how man has spoiled what God intended to do. How, how much of the blessed potential do we have that we allow to be stolen away by our own foolishness, bad decisions and choices that we make? Hmm? Now, in order to understand, we're going to talk about the four remaining kings of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel went into captivity in 721 B.C. by the Assyrians. How many good kings were in the north? Zero. Zero. That's right. Zero, right? Yeah. How many kings were there in Judah after the divided kingdom? You had, you had Saul, and you had David, and you had Solomon, and then you had a divided kingdom. Or northern kingdom, how many good kings? Zero. And they went into captivity in 721 B.C. by the Assyrians. You think Judah would certainly learn their lesson, wouldn't you? How many kings were in Judah? Eight. Good kings. How many? Eight. Eight good kings. Yeah, that's right. How many kings were there in all? Twenty. How many kings in all? <laughs> Twenty. You're such a smart guy. I'm telling you right now, you should be teaching this Bible study tonight. There were 20 kings in all in the kingdom of Judah, but only eight of them were good kings. Four of them were reformers. 
But after Josiah, he's the last good king in Judah. It got worse and worse. And, you know, how could we ever get anything worse than Bill Clinton? Hmm? Well, well first, first I thought about the peanut farmer. My goodness, how could, you know, giving away the pen? I mean, what, you know, you know I'm talking about that, right? And then, and then we had Wild Bill. <laughs> and then we thought, well, and then we got, ooh, Obama, Obama, Obama. Hmm? And now we got an idiot in the White House. I mean, a buffoon. I, you know, I never, th I never thought I'd find a day when I would be welcoming Clinton back with open arms. I would love to see Bill Clinton come back as president, wouldn't you? <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm, I'm dead serious. But it doesn't matter who we elect anymore because they're all corrupt, both sides of the aisle. You, all you have to do is follow the money trail. They all have the same benefactors, those special interest groups that fatten them. And that's who they serve, not the people any longer. Hmm? Well, so too, that same kind of corruption that was so pervasive, that's so pervasive in our country today, was so pervasive in Israel of old. And uh, after Josiah, well, let go with me to Second Chronicles 36. Let's look at some of the history. This history can be found in the Kings as well as in Chronicles, but for the sake of our conversation in chapter 19, we're going to go to chapter 36 of 2 Chronicles to get the historical context. Josiah was a righteous king, but he died in battle. He was convinced to go to battle against Pharaoh Necho, and Pharaoh Necho II killed him in battle. And then the Pharaoh established his son Jehoiahaz as the next king. Everybody there? Second Chronicles, chapter 36. Then the people of the land took Jehoiahaz, the son of Josiah, made him king in his father's place in Jerusalem. Jehoiahaz was 23 years old when he became king. And he reigned. That was pretty short-lived, wasn't it? <laughs> three months. He reigned three months, and the, king, and the pharaoh of Egypt deposed him again. He reigned three months in Jerusalem. Now the king of Egypt deposed him at Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and talents of gold. And then the king of Egypt made Jehoiahaz's brother Eliakim king over Judah and Jerusalem and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Necho took Jehoiahaz, his brother, and carried him off to Egypt. And there he died. Uh, but then Jehoiakim. Kim, his brother, reigned in his place. Verse 5. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years. Bad dude. He caused a lot of pain and sorrow among the people. He could care less about the people. He took care of his elitist, the circle of his friends and those who supported him. But as far as the common people, he made life very, very difficult for them. And we'll see that as we get into chapter 19. Um, Ezekiel makes mention of it, inspired of the spirit. 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him, bound him in bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. 
Nebuchadnezzar also carried off some of the articles of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in the temple of, at Babylon. What were some of those articles? The cups, the golden chalices that they used in sacrifice to the Lord, offered their drink offerings unto the Lord. And we know from Daniel that somebody, yeah, Belteshazzar, uh, his grandson, profaned them. And that night, he was judged, wasn't he? But those are the very articles that we're talking about or reading about here, as recorded in Daniel's prophecies and book. Verse 8, now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim, the abominations which he did, and what was found against him indeed, are they written in, uh, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And then Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. Jehoiachin was eight years old when he became, can you imagine an eight-year-old? How old are you? Leonardo, we make you king. What do you think about that? You think you could be able to rule the country? No? If you sing a little bit louder. <laughs> Eight years old when he became king, reigned in Jerusalem three months and ten days. Oh, short-lived. Yeah, he didn't reign very long, did he? No. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. At that turn of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar summoned him and took him to Babylon with the costly articles of the house of the Lord and made Zedekiah, Jehoiakim's brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem. And Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke out of the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear an oath by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all of the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord, which had consecrated in Jerusalem. Corrupt leadership is just a manifestation of the corruption of the people. So you need, you need to understand that. The, you know, not everyone, but the leadership we have is, is representative of the people. We have a representative form of government. And what is it that most people would do for a little monetary gain or possessions, pleasures, position? The fall of Jerusalem. Verse 15. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion upon his people and upon his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought against the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and no, no, and had no compassion on the young men of the virgin of the age of the weak. He gave them all into his hand. This, this is the Lord's lament. He's weeping. He's grieved. He is sorrowing at the death of the potential that Israel had the death of the potential of the lineage of David to reign as a nation supreme, blessing the nations of the world if they would just obey the Lord. Back to Ezekiel chapter 19. Now Zedekiah is ruling at this time. 
Ezekiel is prophesying his destruction before it comes to place. He doesn't believe it. The people don't believe it. Previously, remember in chapter 13, God was judging them because of the false prophets. Do we not have a plurality of false prophets today? Oh, it's unbelievable. And some of them are trying to take this, this uh, revival and hijack it. Mm. Chapter 14, he was speaking of the nation and judging them because of their idolatry, worshiping the gods of the peoples around them. Baal, Ashtoreth, Molech, Nemosh. Materialism, sexual pleasure, child sacrifice, and the occult. In chapter 15, he talked about the fruitlessness of the nation. Just as Jesus cursed the fig tree and it withered and died immediately, Matthew 21, as he was going in to talk to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, which should have been producing spiritual fruit for God among the nation, and there was none. Even at this time, in chapter 15, he's talking about the fruitlessness of the nation. No spiritual fruit for God. Oh, a lot of religiosity. We have a lot of religiosity today, don't we? No real spiritual fruit. In chapter 16, he likened them to what? A harlot, a whore, committing spiritual adultery against the Lord when he had done so much for them, when he found them in the desert as a newborn child, still in its blood, still with the cord and its attached to its belly and couldn't possibly survive if God had not had shown compassion upon them. And then she became this beautiful woman. And then it was her time for love. And then she betrayed the only true love, God's love, and becoming a harlot. And then in 17, he talked about the great eagle, Babylon, who would come and he would use them as an instrument of judgment. In chapter 18, we talked about the false hope that the people had, denying it all. You know, the blab it and grab it, lip it and grip it crowd, you know what I'm talking about. The prosperity gospel. It's, it's heretical. Name it and claim it. So then, who's, what is the object of their faith? Themselves. Themselves. If you only had enough faith, you could bring anything into existence. Just claim it. Just speak it. You know. Well, that's what's happening in Israel as well. And now we're here in chapter 19. It's the final destruction of Judah. God has had his belly full of it. He's tired of it. He's, he's shown compassion on him. He sent his messengers, the prophets, and every one of them they denied, they killed. Who was that weeping prophet for 40 years? Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a weeping prophet who cried over Israel. For 40 years he cried, he wept, he begged. And how many converts? One, his scribe, Barak. And then he, he, unfortunately, has the misfortune of sitting in Jeremiah's grotto. If you go to Israel and you see the Calvary and you see the place of the skull, Golgotha, and the two eyeballs of the skull, those recesses in the mountain, well, in one of those is where Jeremiah sat and watched the destruction of the nation, that final destruction, 586 B.C., by the Babylonians. And he pens it with tears, sobbing and crying. His manuscript was stained with his tears because they didn't listen. For 40 years, they wouldn't listen. And I have to suggest to you that since world, in the end of World War II, we have been on a free fall. 
spiritually, morally. And it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And God sent his messengers. I, I think one of the greatest messengers this country is, has, has had the privilege of listening to who God brought about, Billy Graham, warning this country for 60 years. We're worse off than we've ever been. But now this final lament. It's 592 B.C. When was Ezekiel carried away to Babylon? Five years previous, 597. Remember, Daniel and his three amigos, right? They were carried into captivity in, that's right, Leonardo, 605 B.C. How did you know that? I'm telling you, it's amazing. 605 B.C., Daniel and his friends were carried into captivity. The second deportation of the Jews was 597 B.C. That's when Ezekiel was carried away. This is five years later. This is 592. Zedekiah is reigning. He's the last king. This is going to be the end of the Davidic monarchy, the line of David. Never again. Twelve years old, Shiloh walked in the temple, but they rejected him. They didn't know. Moreover, take up this lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, the leaders, the rulers, what is your mother, a lioness? She lay down among the lions, among the young lions. She nursed her cubs. She brought forth one of her cubs and became a young lion. And he learned to catch prey, and he devoured men. The nations also heard of him. He was trapped in their pit, and they brought him with chains to the land of Egypt. Who's this? Jehoiaz, right? Jehoiaz. He was carried away in captivity. He only reigned three months by Pharaoh Necho II. Now, uh, God bless you. Verse 5, it appears he's talking about Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim reigned 11 years, and he did some wicked things. Following him was Jehoiachin. He only reigned three months, and he was carried away to Babylon. But verse 5, it says, when she saw that she waited for her hope was lost, waited her hope was lost, that he was taken in captivity, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. Now, we can't be absolutely dogmatic whether she's talking, he's talking about Jehoiachin. Uh, Kim or Jehoiachin? Jehoiakim, I believe it probably is, because he, he reigned 11 years. Jehoiachin only reigned three months. So she took another of her cubs, made him a young lion. He roved among the lions, and he became a young lion. He learned to catch prey. He devoured men. He knew their desolate places the waste, the, and laid waste their cities. The land with its fullness was desolated by the noise of his roaring. All of the nations set against him from the providences on every side and spread a net over him and trapped him in their pit. They put him in a cage and in chains and brought him to the king of Babylon and brought him in nets. Now, Jehoiachin, when he was taken into captivity, he basically surrendered. Jeremiah, the prophet, had told him the best thing you could possibly do is yield to the judgment that God is bringing upon you. And some of you may remember this from the men's study when we went through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah had declared the word of the Lord that this judgment was coming. He told that Jehoiachin, if he would surrender, that he, his family, and his uh, administration would be carried into captivity in Babylon, but they would do well, they would fare well, and so he did. He surrendered, he yielded to the word of the Lord, he was carried into captivity into Babylon, and he was in captivity, imprisonment for 37 years. Then uh, Nebuchadnezzar's great-great-great-great-great-grandson reigned evil, not great-great, but great-great-grandson, evil Murdoch. 
when he took over, he released Jehoiakim from prison, and he lived out the rest of his days there in Babylon, never returned. But that's who we're referring to here. Now, after Jehoiakim, who was to reign? We just read that in Second Chronicles. Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, then the last king, Zedekiah, Zedekiah. Verse 9, they put him in a cage with chains, brought him to the king of Babylon, 37-year imprisonment. And his voice shall no longer be heard on the mountains of Israel. Verse 10 now, speaking of Israel's past, what God had desired to do continually, but wasn't able to because of their disobedience and rebellion. Your mother was like a vine in your bloodline, planted by the waters, fruitful and full of branches. She became, because of mighty waters, she had strong branches for scepters for, of rulers. She towered in stature above the thick branches and was seen in her height amid the dense foliage. How many righteous kings were there? Eight, eight, eight righteous kings, four reformers, reformers, excuse me. The third king, Asa, he was a righteous man. The fourth king, Jehoshaphat, a righteous man. Eighth king, Josiah, oh, Joash, a righteous man. Amaziah was the ninth, Uzziah the tenth. Jossam the eleventh, Hezekiah the thirteenth, Josiah, mighty man of God, the sixteenth. And he was the last righteous king in Israel. Josiah was replaced by Jehoiahaz, Jehoiahaz by Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim by Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin by Zedekiah. Zedekiah is reigning now, and he will be the last monarch to reign in Israel. This will be the end of not only the Davidic dynasty, but what else? The theocratic kingdom. This is the end of the theocratic kingdom. I've explained this to you before. Daniel prophesied in Chapter 2, when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's vision, he prophesied in chapter 7 when he interpreted his own dream, or Nebuchadnezzar's dream and his vision, and he saw these world-governing empires, right? The Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Greece, Roman, the revived Roman Empire, and this would be called the times of the Gentiles, where the Gentile powers would be controlling what God had given his people Israel, but he has removed them out of the land. And the time of the Gentiles, when did it end? It hasn't yet, right? Not yet. But at the end of the time of the Gentiles, right? We, had, we, had, we talked about the universal kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, the theocratic kingdom, the theocratic kingdom is over, the universal kingdom continues as the spiritual kingdom does. I'm sorry, what's funny? The universal kingdom is where God reigns everywhere and at all time, forever. The universal kingdom goes on right now, right? God reigns everywhere and for all time. There's no doubt about that. There's only one king. It's Jesus. The spiritual kingdom, the spiritual kingdom is comprised of everyone who's indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Ruach HaGodesh in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, there were, the Old Testament believers possessed the Spirit of God. You understand that? All they had to do was simply believe the promises that God had made through the sacrificial system of Leviticus. Anybody reading through the Bible this year? Are you in Leviticus? And all that sacrificial system and the tremendous meaning that it has, you know, it seems so rote and boring, but it's not. It's, it's all Jesus and his sacrifice. The sin offering. Lord, forgive me. 
and then followed by the burnt offering. Lord, I give you my life. Consume me, Lord, all that I am, all that I have, all that I ever be. Lord, take my life and consume it for your purposes and your will. The sin offering, the burnt offering. What's the last one? The peace offering or fellowship offering now. All of that speaks of what Christ desires to do in our lives. If we will just but confess, humble ourselves and repent, offer yourself to God and watch him work. So there, there was the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you in the Old Testament by believing the promises of God with regard to the coming of the Messiah, the true Savior of the world, the true sacrifice for sin. And, and now we know that in this church age, every, every believer who possesses the Spirit of God is of the spiritual kingdom. You can't, no Spirit of God, no salvation. You, you can't possibly be saved if you're not indwelt by the Spirit of God. If you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, the evidence of your salvation? Your sanctification your fruit. You'll know them by their sanctification. Love, joy, peace, right? Patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? That's the spiritual kingdom. Universal kingdom, spiritual kingdom. Theocratic kingdom is God was reigning over his, through his delegated authorities or representatives, mediatorial in the beginning with Moses and who else? Joshua and the judges and the last judge was Samuel and then it's no longer a mediatorial but it's a monarchy and it began with David and uh, Saul and David and Solomon and all the way down to Hezekiah and now it's over. It's over. <laughs> I get these songs that pop in my head when I was a kid. It's too late to say you're sorry. It's too late to see you say you're mine. You found yourself a new love. <laughs> That's what Israel did, didn't they? And it wasn't God. It wasn't Jehovah. And now it's too late. Mm. But they had such a glorious opportunity. As our nation once was one nation under God. Couldn't be divided. Because we were united by the Judeo-Christian Old Testament, New Testament belief. Faith. Excuse me. Look what's happened to us. We no longer know who we are. We've lost our soul, America. Just like Israel did. We're lovers of stuff. Use people. We even use God when we name it and claim it. Hmm? rather than lovers of people and God and users of stuff. Oh, and lovers of pleasure. So pleasure mad that we want, we, we want every right to kill children, kill babies. In the womb, out of the womb, it doesn't matter. We don't want them. They're trash. Isn't that terrible? Those that make it out of the womb... Whew. We're destroying them. Once you don't know whether you're a man or a woman and you go down that path, you've destroyed your life. You have no foundation. You have no soul. But, verse 12, speaking of Judah, this is a bad but. This isn't one of those but God things. No, but Judah, but she was plucked up in fury. She was cast down to the ground. The east wind dried her fruit. Her strong branches were broken and withered. The fire consumed them. 
Now she is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. Fire has come out from a rod of her branches and devoured her fruit so that she has no strong branch, a scepter for ruling. This is prophesying the destruction of the nation of Judah. Finally, Zedekiah will be carried away into captivity. When a, a western wind blew, that was good. That was beneficial to Israel. Why would it be beneficial when a wind blows from the west to the east across the land of Israel? It brings rain. It brings moisture from the Mediterranean. And that rain brings life, right, to the desert. Oh, but when it's an eastern wind, the eastern wind comes from the east to the west, it's hot and dry, and it kills and dries up everything. Everything. That's what he's talking about here. Now, he's not just talking about the wind itself and, and what's going to happen because he's going to allow these dry, lifeless times to come about. But it's also the Babylonians that are coming from the east. Hmm. Who's our greatest enemy today? In what direction are they coming from? And we are so foolish that we, we, we have created the monster. We've made them rich, powerful. Because of our greed, our foolishness. You see. There's an east wind blowing now. It's going to dry up everything. I don't know. I'm not sure aware of what's going on. This is a lamentation and has become a lamentation. This is my cry, the cry of my heart. And God said, it is the cry of my heart. All that I desire to do through you, Israel. Like a mother hen who desires to gather her chicks under her wings. But yet you would not let me. How many kings were there in Judah? 20? Is that what you said? 20? Eight good? Who's going to be the last king of Judah? Number 21. Who? No, no, that was Zedekiah. He was number 20. He's gone. Poof. No more. The Davidic dynasty is over. No more descendants of David until Shiloh comes. Who's Shiloh? Jesus. Jesus. Listen to me. Number 21 is coming. I vote for 21. <laughs> me too. Yeah. God's word will be fulfilled in spite of what Israel has done, in spite of the fact that she's played the harlot with all of these false gods. And behind all these false gods is a spiritual entity, a de demon. And those same demonic entities are alive and well in the United States today. What it was restraining them for so many years was our, our reception of the gospel. And I've shared this with you before. We've got a few more minutes. Listen to me. Think about this. Please think about this. In the Old Testament, very little demonic activity. You don't see much of it at all. A little bit in Daniel. You know? The prince of Persia restraining the Michael from, or Gabriel from giving his message. So God sent Michael to do business. But then you go from Malachi, or was it Malachi? The Italian prophet. Malachi, you go from Malachi to Matthew, 400 silent years, but yet there's this crescendo, this, this increase, this exponential increase of demonic activity just prior to the first coming of Messiah. And Jesus said it'll be as in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, they were characterized by militant homosexual activity. And 
an obsession with the occult and the demonic world. So Jesus comes on the scene, and we read in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're casting out demons everywhere. Wow. What happened? Well, Satan knows the program, doesn't he? I mean, he can, he can discern. You know, he's not all-knowing. He's not omniscient like our God, but he can certainly read what God is doing. He sees God's hand, and now he sends those demonic forces to try to prevent what God is going to bring about, but he can't. And then the reception of the gospel into the lives of so many people there in Jerusalem, in Israel, in Palestine. <sighs> what happened to the demons? You let a little light in, the darkness flees, right? What happens when you turn the light on? What happens to the cockroaches? They're not palmetto bugs, they're cockroaches, right? What happens when you turn the light on? They scurry, right? What happens when you're in the darkness? Just let the light in. Listen, you you don't ever, ever, ever have to be worried about demons or Satan himself if you're focusing on Jesus. You just let the light into your life and the darkness can't touch you. Can't harm a hair on my head. He took it off my face though, didn't he? Now listen to me. As the gospel progressed west, not east, look at the demonic activity that exists today in the east. It has been in Israel. I mean, not Israel, in India, in China, in Korea, in all of those far eastern nations, tremendous demonic activity. But when the gospel went west, what happened? All those demonic forces in the dark ages of Europe, like cockroaches. No, they didn't disappear. They just withdrew. But they're in the shadows, waiting to come back. When the gospel was received here in America, when, when our forefathers founded this nation, Christopher Columbus, a Jew, financed by Jews, although he was an Italian by nationality, he, he was a Jew by ethnicity. And he was looking for a homeland, a safe place for the Jews because of the Spanish Inquisition. So many Jews were being murdered, the Christ killers, right? America's discovered. America becomes the safest place for the diaspora, for the Jews in the diaspora since they left Egypt. Do you understand that? America's been the safest place in the world for the Jewish people. God's done with America. Jews are all going back. Anti-Semitism is growing. But when we were a nation so young and our forefathers came here looking for a place where they could worship God in truth and in spirit, free from any state-mandated church, right? Look what God had done. In such a short time, look at how quickly we grew to such prominence in the world, economically, militarily. Everybody wanted to come to America. It was the land of promise, the land of opportunity. I remember my grandfather when he immigrated and my grandmother, they, they just were so thankful to come to America. They love this country and all that it afforded them. Just work hard. Keep your nose clean. You'll succeed. That's what he used to tell me all the time. But now we've forsaken the blesser. Worship the blessings. And look what's happened to us. Now listen to me. All those demonic entities are back. They're back. We, we began to worship stuff. After World War II, the stuff. Who was like America in our ability to create wealth, to generate wealth? Highest standard of living in the world, right? Oh, and then with all that stuff and all this free recreational time comes the pleasure, madness, the sensuality. We had a sexual revolution in the 60s, right? 
What happens when you have a sexual revolution, when you have all this promiscuity taking place, all these unwanted pregnancies, a crisis now? We just wanted to have fun. We don't want the responsibility of a child. Oh, we got the solution. Worship the stuff, play, have a good time, eat, drink, and be merry, and we just eliminate the it. And now, what happened at the Grammys? What were they worshiping at the Grammys the other night? Satan. Overt Satanism. Overt. Listen, folks, it's those same demonic entities that go all the way back to ancient Babylon. They were just waiting because we've gone, we've allowed ourselves to go into the darkness. They've come out of the shadows. You got to pray. No, it can't touch us. I am just, I'm, I'm just so thankful for the, for the way the Lord protects us and our little ones. Aren't you? I'm just, I've been, all these years since I've been saved, I, I remember how dark it was for me before my salvation. I remember how dangerous it was. I remember how I was being seduced and drawn in. Oh, but I've been so protected, so guarded, so sheltered under the shadow of his wings for 42 years now. Me and mine have been so protected. Thank you, Jesus. It's like Ruth and Boaz. This beautiful love story, this beautiful family. But what's the historical backdrop? The darkest time in Israel. Every man did what was right in their own eyes. But God protected Ruth, Boaz, Obed. And Obed produced David the king. David the king. What is the one thing we learn from history? We don't learn anything from history. History, unfortunately, repeats itself. Why? Because we don't purpose to learn from history. We're, we're do, listen, we're doing the exact same thing that Judah of old did. And, and God is going to judge us for America, the society, not the body of Christ. Please don't misunderstand me. This is a glorious hour for us. This is going to be the church, the body of Christ's finest hour. God wants to use us in a very powerful way to speak truth, to rescue those who are perishing, right? But it's going to be a very dark hour for the world. So don't, don't, don't lose. I, I'm so glad that I am alive and a Christian now, right now. And I, every day I say, Lord, use me. Use me, whatever way you see fit, Lord. I, I want to realize my full potential in you, Lord. Because I know time is running out. Hmm. We need to go share the truth. Like Jeremiah, most people won't have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. But there will be a few. And, and so we're here for the few, right? Amen? Questions, comments? Y'all got it? Good. There'll be a test next week. Shall we stand? <laughs>